Welcome to the Geneva Center for Security Policy Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Vallée, Associate Fellow in the Global Fellowship Initiative. For the next few weeks, I'm talking with subject matter experts to discuss issues of peace, security, and international cooperation. Thanks for tuning in. Early last week, it was confirmed that the presidents of the United States and of the Russian Federation, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin, will hold their first summit meeting since Biden's inauguration here in Geneva on June 16th. This has been hailed in Switzerland as a new occasion for Geneva to play an important role in U.S.-Russian relations, as it often has in the past. The current state of tension between the two powers and the many issues of global scale which they need to discuss, especially on arms control and counter-proliferation, also mean that the Geneva summit will be closely watched by international observers. It is also worth recalling that the 1985 summit, held also in Geneva between Mikhail Gorbachev, for the USSR and Ronald Reagan for the United States served as another epiphany for Swiss diplomacy and was the origins of the launch of the international training course around which the GCSP itself would be formed a decade later. Our podcast will discuss this in a forthcoming edition. To discuss the importance of this forthcoming summit, I'm joined today by Ms. Alexandra Matas, the head of the Effective Governance Cluster at the GCSP. Alexandra Matas, who is originally Russian, trained uh, in both public relations and international affairs at the Russian State University of Physical Education, Sports and Tourism, and at the Geneva Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies. And she joined the GCSP staff full-time in 2011. She has coordinated the activities of the uh, programs on security and law and WND and disarmament, respectively. She's been a short course coordinator, and more recently, the course director in effective governance in either English or French language courses for state officials from different countries. She also designs dialogue events in Geneva and internationally on the topic of European security, DOSCE conflict prevention mechanisms, and post-war reconstruction in Syria. Her research interests include the European security architecture, Russia and the post-Soviet states. She joins us in the midst of a busy agenda this week, so we're very fortunate to have her as a guest. Welcome to the podcast, Alexandra. Thank you very much, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, my first question to you is uh, whether the choice of Geneva as a venue for the first summit between Presidents Biden and Putin is a surprising one. Well, I don't think that the choice of Switzerland and particularly the neutral ground of Geneva is, is a surprising one. A choice of a European country as a venue for the first face-to-face summit between the, the two presidents has been discussed since the first time the summit was proposed in April this year, given that President Biden will be coming to Europe on the occasion of several summits with the Western allies in the G7, NATO, and the European Union. From the Russian side, the choice of Switzerland could also be expected. As our country is historically neutral, it's not member to NATO or the European Union. Since the times of the Cold War, Switzerland had a role to play among the conflicting parties. And the International Geneva is known for hosting the multilateral institutions and for providing safe and neutral platform for many important and sensitive diplomatic dialogues. Also, we can draw historical parallels, as you just said, with the well-known summit between the U.S. President Ronald Reagan and the Soviet General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev held in Geneva in 1985. 
this meeting of the American and Soviet leaders is considered to be the major step towards the end of the confrontation between the two superpowers and the end of the Cold War. At that time, Geneva was already hosting the United Nations and other international organizations. However, the meeting was bilateral and not held under the UN umbrella. Switzerland was the only intermediary in this process. That event brought the world's attention to Geneva and raised its profile as the capital of global negotiations. Interestingly enough, uh, the Reagan-Gorbachev summit exposed the pressing need to strengthen Swiss national expertise in the field of international security. And as you have rightly just said, Paul, this led to the creation of the GCSP oldest course, the Leadership in International Security, and we are celebrating it. 35th anniversary in our center on these days. Yes, I, I thought it was uh, good for us to uh, return, uh, obviously, uh, to this history, which is uh, most important for Geneva and for our institution, the, the GCSP. And uh, as you said, uh, well, Geneva certainly does have a, a history of uh, hosting not just Russian, U.S. bilateral meetings, uh, but of course, uh, many more. Uh, so my next question would be, what, what are likely to be the principal issues on the agenda presented at this meeting? And are um, uh, Russia's priorities, since you may be able to talk about them a little bit more at length, very different from those that uh, are known to be that of the U.S.? That is true that the two countries have very diverging views on many issues, and we can even say that the relations between Russia and the United States today are at the lowest level since the times of the Cold War. The election of President Biden last year did not change this negative dynamic that existed already for several years. Thus, the importance of such dialogue cannot be underestimated, as most of the disagreements come from mutual misperception and bad information. Paradoxically, during these difficult times, when diplomatic exchanges need to be intensified, the two countries almost stopped talking to each other. Even their respective ambassadors are being temporarily withdrawn home for consultations. And the two sides are at odds over Russian influence in Ukraine and in Syria. There are claims and accusations over interference in American elections, a series of cyber attacks. Washington raises the issue of respect of human rights following jailing of opposition politician Alexei Navalny. And Kremlin does not accept interference in its internal affairs and expert of the so-called colored revolutions to Russia and neighboring countries. Most recent tensions raised after Minsk, which is considered to be Russia's ally, diverted the Ryanair flight to arrest a dissident journalist. This issue will probably be addressed during the meeting. However, there are signals sent by the United States State Secretary Antony Blinken and the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov during their meeting two weeks ago in Reykjavik about the forthcoming summit, which are rather optimistic. The American side declared that it seeks a predictable and stable relationship with Russia, and Moscow is ready to cooperate in spheres where their interests collide. The two countries indeed 
have successful experience of working together in the past, for instance, when Russia provided its territory for transfer of NATO troops to Afghanistan, or when they were working together on the Iranian nuclear deal. Today, the areas of uh, common interest could be fighting the COVID-19 pandemic, combating climate change, dealing with the nuclear programs in Iran and North Korea, Afghanistan, or possible solutions to Israel-Palestinian dilemma. And those are likely to be uh, the principal issues on the summit agenda. But the starting point of the discussion will be promoting dialogue on strategic stability. It was already made clear by both sides, and these discussions will uh, certainly address the collapse of the arms control system. This is a burning issue of concern for the international community as a whole, and the status of relations between Moscow and Washington impacts directly the international situation in general. Uh, yes, well, uh, as you said, uh, uh, often the uh, question of arms control between, of course, the two major holders of nuclear arsenals in the, the, the world has been a, a feature of their meetings in Geneva. And there's been also, of course, a, a repeated will uh, over the years to improve the general tone of a discussion uh, between the two powers. And of course, in, it was also in Geneva, I believe, that um, Mr. Blinken's predecessor, Hillary Clinton, then presented Minister Lavrov with this famous uh, uh, reset button that actually uh, generated more of a joke than, than an actual reset at the time. So we'll wish them a better fortune this time. So of course, my, my, my next, uh, my next uh, question would be you know, whether there are very strong expectations of a, a reset starting from this meeting and whether in particular the choice of Geneva or Switzerland's policy of a good offices can, can help uh, achieve that at this, uh, at this particular venue. Well, both states uh, can clearly benefit from, from the exchanges on, on such high level. On the one hand, uh, in the context of intensified uh, confrontation with China, it is in the United States' interests to stabilize the relations with Russia. On the other hand, for Moscow, the summit will reinforce the position of the Russian leadership as an indispensable player and key partner in global politics. However, I don't think that our expectations should be too high. There is no possibility of a reset of relations at this point, and I'm not optimistic that any constructive results will be achieved. The confrontation between the United States and Russia will unfortunately remain. But the two leaders will aim to stabilize the situation. Coming to your uh, second part of the question on uh, the if there are any issues that the choice of Geneva as a venue uh, can help to address or Switzerland as a whole, we know that Geneva is a seat of numerous international organizations. It hosts many summits, important diplomatic negotiations. And in relation to this summit, the choice of Geneva could be specifically useful as it is the principal multilateral platform for disarmament and arms control. As for Switzerland, its good offices are a long-standing tradition and play key role in the Swiss foreign policy. 
Switzerland acts as mediator between conflicting parties in different parts of the world. For example, it is actively involved in finding a diplomatic solution to the conflict in eastern Ukraine. During Swiss chairmanship of the organization uh, Security and Cooperation Europe in 2014, Switzerland contributed to the creation of the trilateral contact group on Ukraine and also supported the creation and functioning of the OEC special monitoring mission in this country. Switzerland also acts uh, between the conflicting states who don't have diplomatic relations. Uh, for instance, that's the case uh, when it represents the U.S. interests in Iran since 1980 or ensuring ties between Russia and Georgia after the 2008 war. Indeed, these long-standing experiences could be helpful in the current conflicting situation. Um, yeah, of course, a very, uh, very good point to uh, underscore uh, all the know-how that there is in, uh, in international Geneva and, and also, of course, in, in Switzerland's traditional policy. Um, as we know, of course, the uh, part of the uh, Iranian nuclear deal, which was formally signed in Vienna, was indeed negotiated uh, in Switzerland. And uh, of course, uh, many of the uh, negotiating teams have very good contacts over here in, in, in Switzerland. Here was the uh, confrontation of the, the meeting of the two leaders. We hope it doesn't turn into a confrontation because they, they both have quite strong characters and they're, they're well known for that. So, so I think that's uh, an interrogation about uh, a final question, which is, you know, whether there's a, the feeling that these uh, in-person summits, uh, which have often at least generated a great deal of interest and they've struck uh, also uh, uh, a lot of landmarks. And in the case of 1985, it certainly, you know, reinstated uh, a dialogue that had uh, been stagnant uh, for the uh, first part of the 1980s between uh, the USSR and uh, the United States. And uh, the results were verifiable fairly quickly afterwards. But of course, uh, here uh, we're also in, in a particular period in which uh, in-person summits had become also very infrequent because of uh, sanitary restrictions. And uh, we're, we're in a way seeing with Joe Biden's visit to Europe, uh, seeing also, of course, a return to the resumption of uh, large multilateral summits. And of course, the one here in Geneva is going to be a, uh, a bilateral one. But um, is there a feeling that uh, these um, uh, these summits uh, compared uh, to a distance dialogue, uh, not like the one that we're having, but uh, uh, between leaders, uh, whether whether an in-person meeting still actually does make a difference uh, in, in in diplomatic terms compared to uh, uh, to sort of the the regular interaction that uh, we would do online. That is true, Paul, that the pandemic changed drastically our habits and approaches in, in everyday life, but also in international exchanges. And many of track two and three dialogues were transferred to virtual space. We have experienced that also in our center. And there are some benefits to that. For, for instance, the virtual dialogues are much more inclusive. We can reach the audience, which was often in the past excluded from discussions. I talk here about participants from conflict zones or representatives of non-recognized territorial entities. 
who did, didn't even have valid documents to travel abroad to participate in dialogues. However, virtual setting is much more challenging for high-level discussions, where key messages are communicated during the informal exchanges, during coffee breaks or lunches or dinners in the informal setting. And that need to stay confidential in order to create confidence and trust between the interlocutors. And for this reason, I will agree with you that the opportunity to meet in person on the 16th of June will be crucial for the relations between the two states. Uh, yes, well, I mean, obviously, uh, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of distance uh, meetings, we also know the, uh, the direct line between the White House and the Kremlin goes back to 1963. So uh, that's uh, uh, certainly uh, something that's only been just improved eventually by video communication, but uh, uh, has ensured a, a certain amount of dialogue. So we'll, we'll hope that, of course, this Geneva summit itself uh, does generate some of the effects uh, through the, the in-person uh, meeting. So, uh, well, this will be all we have time for uh, today. So I wanted to thank you, Alexandra Matas, for uh, your many insights into this Geneva summit, which uh, will be held uh, on June 16th uh, next. So to our listeners uh, as well, uh, thank you for following us today. And we hope you will join us again next week to hear more about issues of uh, uh, peace, security, and international cooperation. I remind you, you can follow us on Anchor FM and Apple iTunes, and you can subscribe to us on Spotify and SoundCloud. I'm Dr. Paul Vallée with the Geneva Center for Security Policy, and until next week, bye for now. Bye.